Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, do speak to our hearts now as we open your word, Lord. We so much need you to be our teacher in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 43. Please follow along here. Verse 19, they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and communed with him at the door of the house and said, no, sir, we came indeed down at the first time to buy food. It came to pass when we came to the inn, we opened our sacks. Behold, every man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight, we brought it again in our hand. Other money have we brought in our hands to buy food. We cannot tell who put our money in our sacks. He said, peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your fathers have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them and the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet, gave their asses provender and they made ready the present against Joseph came at noon for they heard that he should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into their house and bowed themselves to him to the earth. And he asked them of their welfare. He said, and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? He's yet alive. They answered him, thy servant, our father is in good health. He is yet alive. They bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me? He said, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And Joseph made haste, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep. And he entered into his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face, went out, refrained himself, said, Set on bread. They set on for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. That's an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, the youngest according to his youth, and the men marveled one at another. And he took and sent messes unto them from before him, for Benjamin's mess was five times as much as theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. Now, in our last study here, we followed these brothers. There's a steward. He brought them there to the to Joseph's house. And then they just sat there in verse 19. They were so afraid. They didn't want to go into Joseph's house. They didn't know what was going to happen. And so they said, we've got to talk to the steward, which they did. So they all stand there at the door. And in verse 20, they began to make their impassioned plea to the steward. And in verse 19, they say how they really did come down to Egypt just to buy food. That was all. And then in verse 20, we saw how in order to avoid any reference to the disappearance of of what happened to their other brother, Joseph, that they just said that they all opened their sacks at the end, which was a lie, and they found their money there. Then in verse 22, they said, look, we brought it all back the money for the first purchase, and we brought back even more money 
for the second purchase. So this is their state of mind when they're standing there at the door. They're terrified. They're so afraid. And the poor steward, when he looks at him, he says to himself, I got a real problem on my hands here. <laughs> you know, because he, he's sitting there with these, uh, these brothers. They're so upset. They're disturbed. They're in a state of fear. Now, if you were that steward there at that time, what would you have said to calm them down? What would you have said to take away their fear? I mean, that steward was dealing with a train wreck of emotions there. And what is the world? Just think about with the world. What does the world say to a person who is really afraid and really hurting? What do they say? What's the common things the world says? What? Huh? <laughs> That's what the world says. It's all your fault. <laughs> I know it is, you know. The, yeah, the world says stuff. You know the world says, Dude, don't be afraid. Everything always works out all right. Look on the brighter side of life, you know. And, and look, your father's still alive. And so you might not live for long, but at least he will live. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I mean, a friend of mine was just diagnosed with one of the worst cancers possible pancreatic cancer. He hasn't told anyone. And I can imagine why he hasn't told anyone, because the world's comfort just really makes it worse. You know, well, well, at least you have some months to live instead of dying right away. Or maybe you can apply to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Maybe they'll send you to Disney World. You know, I mean, you can meet Donald Duck, you know. <laughs> you might take a wonderful trip now. I mean, I remember a flight I took about 15 years ago from New York City to Paris. I sat next to a Jewish woman, and she told me that she had terminal breast cancer, wasn't expected to live long, and so she and her daughter were taking this last trip to Paris as kind of a farewell trip. So for her, the best the world could say was that at least you'll have a wonderful trip to Paris. And what the world says by way of comfort really is like Job turned to his comforters and said in Job 16.2, Job 16.2, where Job said, I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall vain words have an end? Now, now you know, we have a place in Takati where hurting people come. And it's the lobby, the lobby of our pet cancer imaging center there. And I remember sitting in those kind of lobbies. I remember sitting in the lobby like that at UCSD Morse Cancer Center, Pet Center, and at, at Grossmont Hospital. And, and this last week, there was a woman who was sitting there, and I was down there, and she was so distraught. She was crying, and she would just wouldn't be comforted, and her son was sitting next to her, kind of rubbing her back and trying to comfort her. You know, that's the situation of this steward right here. He finds himself with these brothers. They're so afraid that they won't set foot inside the house. And so it's what the steward said that makes him so different to comfort these brothers that when he says really just one word in verse 23 that made all the difference in the world, and that word was God. He said, God. He said in verse 23, he said, peace be to you, fear not, your God and the God of your fathers have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. So he says, God, he says, you're God. You're God of your fathers, giving you treasure in your sacks. You know, there's basically two ways to view what happens in life. And one way is to view life with the I, I did it, or they, they did it, or he or she did it. 
And the other way is to view it as God. God did it. And in the same way, really, there's two ways for, for how they could view how their money got back in their sack. And the question really is, who gave the money? Who gave the money back? And so there's really two answers. And one answer is the secular answer. It's the secular view. And the other answer is the godly, is the godly view. It's the godly answer. So the secular view goes like this. The secular view would have been, which they weren't given, but this is the way it would have given. Oh, your money? I gave it back to you. Actually, what happened? Let me explain. You know, the governor, he asked me to take your money and to put it in your sack. So I give your money back. That's the secular view. That's the secular view. That represents the secular view of what happened. And that's how the world sees all of life with secular glasses on. And where God is, God, God is not seen at all. God has nothing to do with it. It's just people. And if the steward had taken this secular view, then they would have said, and then he would have said, I gave your money back. And the second way of looking at things in life brings, well, let me just say this. This secular view of looking at way things happen in life, it doesn't bring any peace to the fearful. It doesn't bring any comfort to the hurting. The secular view is you are going to the best medical facility on the most advanced nation in the earth, and you're getting the best care that man can get for you, and the best men are going to take care of you, and God's never mentioned Man is put there. That's the secular view. That doesn't bring peace to the fearful. That doesn't bring comfort to the hurting. The secular view of having children is, well, my wife and I, we made these children. Nothing more, nothing less. It was just the result of the union of two people. That's how we had children. God had nothing to do with it. You know, birds and bees and us, my wife and I had children by natural processes. That's the secular view. Now, if the steward would have said that, I gave your money back, then he would have taken the secular view of what happened. But it's the godly view of life. They're totally different, different glasses, godly view of life. That's what brings peace to the fearful. That's what brings comfort to the hurting. And that's what the steward did. He gave the brothers the godly view when he said in verse 23, your God and the God of your fathers have given you treasure in your sacks. You know, as I saw this lady crying there in the lobby of our pet cancer center, then last week, what I did was I got a copy of what we have there, which is the pictures of all the Bible verses that were in front of her on the wall, which had a lot of pictures, a lot of Bible verses there. And I gave it to her, and as best I could say in Spanish, I don't know what she understood I said, but I was trying to say, these are the pictures of the verses that are there on the wall. Because this is what the steward did. This is what the steward said to the brothers. And this is what everybody needs who's fearful and hurting. They need to look at the situation from the godly perspective. They need to see God. They need to see God in the situation. So the subject here is money. It's all about money. That's what the brothers have been referring to in verse 21. You see, behold, every man's money was in his the mouth of his sack. In verse 22, other money have we brought down in our hands. We cannot tell who put our money in our sack. So the subject is all about money, money, money. That's what the subject is. But when this steward talks about it, he doesn't call it money. He breaks with that. And instead, the steward uses this other word in verse 23, where he now calls it treasure. And as it says in the Hebrew, hidden treasure. 
He calls the money treasure. Now, why would he do that? Why would he call the money treasure? It's just their money that they brought originally to pay for the corn. Why is he going to call their money treasure? And we see the wisdom in the steward here because here he's really shining through as a very wise man. We can imagine the brothers, they were sitting there saying, treasure? What are you talking about? What do you mean treasure? It's the same money that I brought down. It's a payment that I brought for the corn the first time. Why are you calling it treasure? Well, it's just, you know, it's not easy to change glasses. It's not easy to change from looking at life from a secular view and then looking at life from God's point of view, from a godly view of life. It's not easy. And this is what the steward is doing here. He is leading the brothers through on the path of changing glasses. He's leading them through on the path of changing to see life from a godly point of view. I mean, these brothers needed to be freed from the view of life, which was, oh, I get it. The boss told you to put our money back in our bags. That's it. Nothing more. God had nothing to do with it. That's a secular view. The secular view is we got our kids by natural processes. That's how we had children, just like birds and bees. Nothing more. God had nothing to do with it. So right out of the blue, the steward calls the money an unexpected hidden treasure that God, by his grace, had given them. And the steward did this purposefully to lead these brothers to be thankful so that they would say, the steward wants them to, the brothers to say, Lord, thank you for the treasure that you gave us. We weren't expecting it. We didn't deserve it, but you gave it to us because you're so gracious, you're so good. That's what he wanted the brothers to do. And that's what it means to have a godly view of life that's filled with thanksgiving. As it says in First Thessalonians 5.18, which says, in everything, give thanks. That's the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. And then it says that in Ephesians 5.20, Ephesians 5.20, it says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the brothers, they weren't, they weren't gonna give thanks for all things unless they saw all things as coming from God. So the steward starts off and he calls the money a treasure that God put there for them so that they could start to see life in this new way. The same's true of us. The same's true of us. We're not gonna break out of the secular view of life until we start to see all things as coming from God and thank God for all things by calling money a treasure. He's leading these brothers just to pray. Not to pray, Lord, thank you for the money you gave it back to us, but he's leading them to say, we abundantly thank you, God, because you gave us this treasure unexpected back to us. So the godly view of life that the steward brought the, the, the brothers to, it worked, and it calmed their fears. They were comforted, and now they're willing to get off the threshold there and move into the house, which we see in verse 24. And the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, we see what the steward did. He didn't just encourage them with words, but he went on to action in verse 24. The man brought the men into Joseph's house, and gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their asses provender. Why is this detail there? You know, I'm sure there were a lot of things that happened. You know, maybe he turned the key and opened the door, but that's not written. But it's important that it says here that he gave them the water to wash their feet. And also it says in the end of verse 23, he brought Simeon out unto them. 
Now, he knew that they were going to be so happy to see that Simeon is safe and sound. And then the steward brings out the water so they can wash their feet and feed their donkeys. And the steward, what he's doing here is he's backing up his witness to them with acts of care. He's showing he really cares about them. Reminds me of the summer blitzers this last summer, as you know, how one of them, one of them on the team, they saw a homeless lady sitting there. And so they went over to Panera Bread and they bought her a sandwich and asked her if she knew of anybody that was Jewish. And she said that she was Jewish. And then they led her to the Lord. Why? All because of a sandwich from Panera Bread. I guess it could be from some other place, but anyway. So, and then there were the summer blitzers who took their day for follow-up to be with an elderly Jewish widow and helped clean her house all day long. Why? Because actions are important to validate a witness. And this steward showed he really did care for these brothers when he brought them the water for their feet and the food and brought out Simeon, the food for their donkeys, brought out Simeon. In other words, this steward saw the opportunity and then he took it just like it says in Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10 says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So the steward, he's looking, he sees the opportunity, he takes it, and he does good to the brothers. He's practicing, really he's practicing this seeing the opportunity and doing good to all men, but he's also He's very much in line with Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, which says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is a Greek. He's not a Greek, he's Egyptian. He's a Gentile. So here's this Egyptian Gentile, and he's not ashamed of the good news of Jehovah Jesus giving treasures And so he saw that these Jewish people here, the brothers, they didn't have Jehovah Jesus. He saw that. So he spoke to them. Reminds me of how Pastor Jim and I, when we would go door to door to the Jewish people in San Diego, and I remember oftentimes that Jim would say to the Jewish people, I found your Messiah in your scriptures. (laughs) He would say that. I found your Messiah in your scriptures. So the Egyptian here he sees that these Jewish brothers did not believe in God. So in mercy, he speaks to them about their own God. And that's how we should be like this Egyptian steward when it comes to Jewish people. As it says in Romans 11.31, Romans 11.31 says, even so have these also now not believed. And Egyptian steward could say that. He said, even so have these also now not believed. Yet through your mercy they may obtain obtain mercy. And that's what he was doing. In Romans 11, 15, it says, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? Life from the dead. Life from the dead. And Romans 11, 25. Romans 11, 25 says, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part not in total, but just in part, is happened to Israel. It happens to be a very big part, but it's still part, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So when we see this Egyptian steward, he's telling these Jewish brothers about the God of the Hebrews, it really leaves us a question. How does he know? Where does this Egyptian steward learn about the God of the Hebrews? And clearly it's from Joseph. 
is Joseph. So what we see there from this is Joseph, he's not just providing food for the stomach when he to the Egyptians, he's providing food for the souls of the Egyptians. And you can see Joseph in this Egyptian steward. Why? Because the steward is talking about treasure placed by God in their sacks. He's really talking about the sovereignty of God in life circumstances. And that's what Joseph's life is all about, the sovereignty of God in his circumstances and how it's all worked out. So what do we see in this marvelous Egyptian steward here? What we see is an example of diligent faithfulness. He is a diligent, faithful worker for Joseph. He put his heart into the work. He wasn't just doing, remember now in verse 16, Joseph said, bring these men home. He didn't just do that, but he put his whole heart into the spirit of what Joseph wanted, which was take care of the men. And Joseph didn't have to go through, now you do this and you do that, and if they do this, you do that, and if they say this, he didn't have to, because that's what diligence is. This diligent work that the steward did is expressed by several different expressions in the Bible. Solomon described this diligence as not just doing, but doing with might. He said that in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Ecclesiastes 9.10, where Solomon said, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. I don't know why he added that. That's a very depressing thought, but never in the mind. The first part, okay. And then in Colossians, this diligence is described as doing work heartily as to the Lord and not unto men in Colossians 3.23. Colossians 3.23, which says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This diligence or lack of diligence, because really we have a book that really portrays for us both diligence and lack of diligence, it's really seen in the book of Nehemiah. Because in the book of Nehemiah, they had a big job to do. They had to build the wall around Jerusalem. And there was this group called the nobles, and they didn't really have this diligence. And he described them as not putting their neck to the work when it said in Nehemiah 3.5, Nehemiah 3.5, next said unto them, the Tekoites repaired, but the nobles put not their necks to the work of the Lord, of their Lord. That's a terrible statement. But the majority of the people who worked with Nehemiah were not that way. They were diligent to build the wall, and their diligence was described as they put their mind to work, their mind to work. It says in Nehemiah 4, 6, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. When King David, he looked at his priests and he said, I don't want you guys to be slackers. I know you're going to get paid whether you do the work or you don't do work because that's the nature of the way it works around here. But he says, but he really wanted the priests to be diligent because, as I said, there was a temptation for them to be slack. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free 
at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.